It is uh, my joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, our pastor, uh, Micah, Pastor Micah, who normally fills uh, the pulpit, is, is not here this morning. He is, uh, his family is in, enjoying a weekend of hopefully rest and refreshment together. And so uh, it's my joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. And as we do that, I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 98. Psalm 98, and if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 592. Psalm 98, and, and as we have sung this morning these great praises to our God, and as we look at God's word this morning, I want us to see from his word reasons to rejoice. Follow along as I read Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a, a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and with the sound of the melody with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples uh, with equity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to guide us in our understanding and application of his word. Father, we come before you this morning recognizing our need for your grace. Recognizing as we have sung these psalms and songs of praise this morning that you are great and greatly to be praised. Now, Father, as we look at Psalm 98, I pray that you would help us to understand your word and, and to apply it to our lives. And that through this passage, we would have great reason to praise you and to rejoice in who you are and to rejoice in what you have done. Help us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, the holiday season is fast approaching, right? Thanksgiving is just over a week away and, and Christmas is only a few weeks after that. And both of these holidays provide us with a unique opportunity to praise our great God. As we think about Thanksgiving, we set aside a, a particular time to think specifically about the ways in which God has blessed us. The, the reasons that we can be thankful for who God is and for what he has done. During Christmas, we set aside, similarly, a, a specific time to, to focus on and to praise God, and we do so specifically for his act of, of sending his son to be our redeemer. But you know from experience that the holiday season is particularly busy, right? So often, the last few weeks of our calendar year are jam-packed. Right? They're filled with, with social gathering and there's much planning and preparation that goes into that. And amid all of that, that planning, that preparation, and those parties, we can lose sight during the holiday season of the rejoicing 
that should characterize not only those holidays, but the rejoicing that should characterize our entire lives. And one of the ways that that we express our praise and our thanks to God during specifically Thanksgiving and Christmas is through songs of joyous praise. Right around Thanksgiving, we, we sing hymns that focus on God's manifold blessings. We sing lyrics such as, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. And the Christmas season likewise is, is filled with these songs and these carols that, that praise God joyfully for all that he has done. And arguably, one of the most famous Christmas carols is Joy to the World. Joy to the earth, the, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And I know right away for some of you, I, I've crossed a line because I've brought up a, a Christmas carol before Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm sorry, Christmas starts like November 1st in our household. But interestingly, Joy to the World was, was written by Isaac Watts in 1719, and it was a hymn not originally written as a Christmas carol. The hymn's content certainly speaks to Christ's first coming, but the hymn looks farther, not to Christ's first coming, but specifically to his second coming. Isaac Watts based that song, Joy to the World, not on any gospel account, not on any account of, of the birth of Jesus Christ, not on the singing of the Magi, not on the Magnificat, but he based Joy to the World on Psalm 98. This psalm looks forward to the day when, when Christ will return to earth and will judge the world. And the focus of this psalm is on the ultimate plan of God that is revealed and then culminates in joyous praise. Psalm 98 is a, a song of, of joyful praise. Just look at it briefly. Verse 1, the congregation is called to sing to the Lord. In verse 4, the people of the earth are to make a joyful noise. In verse 8, all creation is to sing for joy. And the idea, the, the premise of Psalm 98 is a call to rejoice. It's a call to make a joyful noise to the Lord and that, is what I want us to do this morning. And, but for some of you, the idea of rejoicing might be challenging right now. Maybe the holidays bring up hard memories for you. Maybe for you, it's personally challenging to think about rejoicing right now because of your circumstances. Or maybe it's hard to imagine uh, rejoicing or, or even singing a song like Joy to the World when you see all that is happening in, in our nation and our country and around the globe. And yet, this psalm calls us to leave service this morning rejoicing not in our circumstances, but to rejoice in the God who came and in the God who is coming again. Psalm 98 is, is a song that will give each and every one of us this morning three very clear reasons to rejoice in the Lord this holiday season. As we look at, at Psalm 98, we'll see three reasons to rejoice this holiday season. And the first is this. The first reason this psalm gives us to rejoice is because we have a Savior. Rejoice, you have a Savior. 
And we see this in the first three verses of this psalm. The, the psalm begins with a call to praise. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. The psalmist calls for, for God to be worshipped. And the psalmist calls specifically for the Lord to be worshipped. And, and when you see Lord in all capital letters in the Old Testament, it refers to uh, God's covenant name, Yahweh. It's the personal covenant name of God that emphasizes his, his loving kindness and his faithfulness. And Yahweh is a name that the people of Israel would be familiar with. It's an old name and it's, a, it's an ancient name. And so the psalmist says, the God that you have known for many years, the God that you are familiar with, the God who has displayed his faithfulness to you over and over again is to be worshipped. And I think this morning we can uh, relate to that. We can think about the fact that for many of us, we have had a relationship with God for a long time. And in that, we can look back and remember reasons to rejoice. And he is to be worshipped, the psalm says, through a new song. And to sing a new song, it doesn't refer to a new composition. The psalmist here isn't talking about writing new lyrics or, or developing a new melody. It's not calling for our worship team to sing something different every single Sunday. This is a call not simply to, to sing something different. It's a call for us to have new reasons to rejoice in our God. To have new reasons as we come to worship each and every day and each and every Lord's day as we sing. To sing a new song, it means to experience the Lord's presence and blessing in a new way so there is new substance to our praise. You see, the psalm right off the back teaches us that our worship is never to be routine or common, but it's always to be fresh and new. We're to have new and fresh reasons to rejoice in our God because of things we learn about in his word or about ways that he's worked in our lives. We see this in, in Psalm 40 where the people pray to God and because God answered their prayers, verse 3 says that God had put a new song of praise in their mouths. Can you reflect on that this morning of a time where God has answered your prayers and because of that you sang a new song? Again, this psalm calls us this morning as we remind ourselves of the goodness of God to be spiritually refreshed, to be spiritually revitalized. And it calls us to sing in a new way as we remember his goodness and his blessings. Why are we to sing to the Lord a new psalm? What reason specifically does the psalmist give? He says, verse 1, for or because he has done marvelous things. And what specifically is the psalmist referring to? What marvelous things has the Lord done in these first three verses? Why are we to sing a new song? Well, the reason's pretty clear. Because the word itself is mentioned three times in the first three verses. Look at the end of verse one. It says, His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Verse 2 says, The Lord has made known his salvation. And verse 3 says, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Why are we to sing to the Lord a new song? Why are we to rejoice? What reason do we have to rejoice this morning? We are to rejoice because we have a Savior. We're to rejoice because God saves. And the word used for salvation here, it refers to a, a victorious battle. It refers to, to a warrior who has victory, an army who has defeated their enemy. 
But what specific victory does the psalmist mention in this psalm? What is he, uh, what is the psalmist alluding to? Well, the beauty of, of this psalm is that we don't know. We don't know what instance the psalmist is referring to. And if you notice, it's intended to be that way. If you look at the, the superscription, if you look at the very first line of the psalm, it just says simply, a psalm. And oftentimes, as we're reading the psalms, we, we read and we recognize, oh, it's, it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. It's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness. It's, it's this or it's that. And there are specific circumstances that we can look to throughout God's word to figure out what instance the psalmist is talking about. But Psalm 98 is what's called an, an orphan psalm. And unlike many of the other psalms, there's no author nor historical background provided. And because we don't know the author, because we don't know the events that the psalmist is referring to, it causes us not to focus on any specific event. It causes us not to focus on any specific act of, of God delivering Israel. But it causes us instead to think about and, and to focus on the nature of God being a savior. The nature of God being a God who delivers and being a God who helps those in need. One commentator wrote this. He said, the purposeful ambiguity of the background moves the worshiper from a reflection of one event to the worship of the Redeemer God by whom his people have been delivered many times. The psalmist wants us to, to focus on God's acts of deliverance. Our God saves. And so, dear Christian, this morning you can rejoice because you have a Savior. And notice that the victory of God celebrated in this psalm, the, the salvation, the deliverance that God provides is entirely an act of God. Look again at verse one. It says, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. To speak of the right hand is, is a Hebrew expression that refers uh, to power. This verse is speaking of God's power. God is powerful. And I apologize for any of you in the congregation who are left-handed, but the text says that the, the right hand is the strong hand. And the strength of God in this passage is described not only by his right hand, but also, look at verse one, it's described by his holy arm. And oftentimes as we see the word holy in scripture and, and our immediate response is to think of God's perfection, to think of his purity, to think of his holiness. Uh, but the term holy simply means set apart. It speaks of God's distinctness, his set apartness, that God is different from us. What is being spoken of here is that God's power is set apart. God's power is unlike any other power you have ever seen. He has a power that is not comparable to any other power on earth. And this power, the psalmist says, is being used to save. The salvation, this deliverance is a single-handed victory of God. It's holy, supernatural. Just look again at verse 1 and notice that God is the one doing the saving. Verse 1 says, He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. 
God himself has got the victory. You see, whatever event is behind this psalm, whatever deliverance the psalmist is is thinking of, it was clearly a deliverance of God's people by God's power alone. God alone was the deliverer. And this text shows us that that God can do something impossible for anyone else. That God alone has the unique power to provide salvation and victory that no one else can provide. If you think back to the Old Testament, if you recall all of the, the mighty acts of God, all of the conquests and all of the accounts, you know this to be true. And right, for the original audience, they may be rejoicing over God's salvation through the, the, uh, out of the nation of Israel through the plagues. They may be thinking of the deliverance of the nation of Israel out of captivity in Babylon. They may be thinking of countless other uh, acts of God's deliverance. But for us today, we rejoice not over God uh, delivering us from a foreign enemy, but instead we rejoice in God for the salvation he has provided by delivering us from the condemnation of our sins, by delivering us from our sins. As those who have rebelled against God, we were dead in our sins and and so we had no way to earn our salvation on our own. There was nothing that we could say or do that would earn us our salvation. If you will, there was no way that we would achieve victory on our own. But God, with his powerful right hand and his holy arm delivered us from our sins. If you think about it, God was able to achieve a victory that no one else could by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of sinful man in the person of Jesus Christ, by living a perfect life and and dying a substitutionary death in our place, God was able to save us from our sins. God was able to earn the victory. God is our Savior, and so we can rejoice this morning because we have a Savior, because we've been delivered, because we've been forgiven. And we run to him as our savior, not only in that initial moment when we realize that our sins deserve the just punishment of God, but we run to him each and every day as our savior for the forgiveness of our sins. We run to him as savior when we find ourselves tangled up in in those uh, ensnaring and entangling sins. We run to him, as the author of Hebrews says, when when we have sins that so easily entangle us. Believer, rejoice this morning because you have a Savior. And this salvation, the psalmist says, has been made known to the entire world. Look at verse two. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. In the Old Testament, the victories of God delivering Israel from their enemies were not to be secret affairs. They were to be public spectacles. They were to be billboards of the power of God. All of God's saving acts, everything that he has done, is designed to reveal to the world who he is. His saving acts were designed to reveal his, his power and his righteousness as the God who saves. Think of Exodus chapter nine. In these exchanges between Moses and God in the discussion of Pharaoh letting God's people go and then not letting God's people go. 
And in Exodus 9, 16, God tells Pharaoh that one of the reasons that he would deliver Israel out of Egypt, one of the reasons for all of the plagues were to show Pharaoh God's power and were to show the world God's power and were to proclaim to the world God's name to make his name known throughout the entire earth. And so verse three ends by saying, all the nations of the earth have seen salvation of our God. And as New Testament believers, we celebrate that the Lord has made salvation known through the person and work of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 3, in that account with John the Baptist and with Jesus coming onto the scene, it says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Believer, see the, the glorious truth of God as Savior this morning. Let those truths uh, be reminded. Think about those truths. May this not be a dull truth to us. May we think about it and may we today and every Lord's Day sing to the Lord a new song. Why? Because he's our Savior. And if you're still in your sins, if this morning you know that, that you are not a believer, that, that you do not know the Lord. See this great salvation offered to you this morning. See that, that God has the power to save you from your sins when nothing you can do would merit salvation. See that, that there is no sin that you have committed that God is not able to save you from that the bondage that you are in, you do not have to be stuck in, but God is willing to save. See that, that God is a savior who will forgive you. But hear uh, the promise of the gospel, right? That if we repent and believe, we would have salvation. And then you too this morning can rejoice in our savior. And notice finally in these first three verses the motivation for this salvation. What motivated God to do this mighty act of deliverance? Well, verse three provides uh, the reasons for God's mighty acts. Verse three, if you look at it, it says, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. God's love and his faithfulness motivated his actions on behalf of his people. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, God promised his people that he would rescue them from their enemies. And time and time again, he was faithful to that promise. And just as God's love and his faithfulness motivated him to deliver the people of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. It is God's love and his faithfulness that motivates him in the salvation of sinners. In the gospel, God promised to redeem sinners through the sending of his son, and because he is faithful and because he is loving, we can rejoice in our salvation because of the promise of the gospel. Because we know that God is faithful to that promise, we can rejoice. Believer, rejoice because you have a Savior. And then look at verses 4 to 6. The second reason this psalm gives us is to rejoice because we have a king. Rejoice because you have a king. Verse four, 
It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous praise and, and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, excuse me, before the King, the Lord. This is an exuberant concert, to say the least. I mean, look at it. Joyful noise, joyous song, praises. We got lyres and melody, trumpets and horns. In verses four to six, we see the, the deliverance received, or excuse me, in verses one to see, three, we saw deliverance received. And that deliverance evokes a response in the people. And what is that response? It's a response of much rejoicing. They're rejoicing in song. Verse 4, the psalmist calls for, for joyful noise and a, and a joyous song. At the end of verse 4 and at the beginning of verse 5, there's a call to, to sing praises. And the people are worshiping not only through the singing of praises, but the people are worshiping with music and with instruments. They're making a joyful noise again with, with the lyre and with trumpets and with horns. And why are, are the people making a joyful noise? What is the occasion for this rejoicing? Well, they're rejoicing, verse 6, before the king, the Lord. And what's interesting here is that all of the instruments mentioned in verses four to six were those that specifically used in temple worship or with some kind of grand announcement, with the coronation of a new king or with the arrival of a commander who just won a battle. And here, if you notice in this psalm, God is praised both as their deliverer and as their king. The act of salvation performed in verses one to three is followed by adoration and that is instructive to our praise. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God's victory in battle was connected to his kingship because the, the defeat of his enemy and the delivery of his people from a battle demonstrated his power. But not only that, it demonstrated that he was the king, that he was the ruler, that there was no one else who could compare to him. One author says, God's mighty deliverance of his people is a visible token of his sovereign rule over the affairs of human beings and nations. God has demonstrated through his victories that he is the sovereign king over all things through his mighty acts of salvation. And because of that, he receives praise in, in verses four to six. And so why can we uh, rejoice this morning? Well, because we have a king. We can rejoice this morning because we have a king who is now seated in heaven and who rules and reigns as we have sung this morning. We can rejoice in our king because he is in control of all things. And he's orchestrating all things according to his power. And though he, he does not yet reign physically on the earth, we rejoice because he reigns over all things and he is crafting all things, both for our good, to conform us to the image of Christ and for his glory. Believer, find joy and peace in this truth this morning. Leave today rejoicing because you have a king. And whatever anxieties and fears are filling your hearts this morning, whether it's politics and the results of the election, 
whether it's the economy and your 401k, whether it's a host of other things, dear Christian, remember that you have a powerful king who sovereignly rules over the affairs of human beings and of nations, that there is nothing outside of his control, nothing outside of his care, nothing outside of his purview. And he is a king. He's a powerful king who loves, who cares, and who provides for you. And he is a king, as we even sang this morning, who we will one day worship by making a joyful noise when he returns and he reigns. And as we observe verses four to six, it's instructive uh, for our worship. Reflecting on these verses, James Montgomery Boyce said this, the most striking feature of this stanza is something we have seen before and will see again. The desire of the psalmist that the worship of God be joyful and above all, loud. If you look at verses four to six, this worship is joyful and this worship is loud. I love how one author described it. He simply said, it is a ruckus. Another commentator notes that, that the noise of the temple worship was legendary because the sounds of the instruments and the sounds of the people were said to have been heard far away. And this is uh, instructive for our worship, maybe not necessarily for the sound booth, but most certainly for our voices. The worship found in Psalm 98 is exuberant. And so we should ask ourselves, should our worship, should the worship of God's people today be anything less than exuberant? Do we not have reason even now from this psalm to worship God joyfully? Should we be quiet? Should we be reserved when we have come to know him who is king and who is savior? Right, this praise in verses four to six is not half-hearted but it's full-hearted, it's whole-hearted, it is vibrant, and our praise is to be the same. And ask yourself, even this morning, has your worship become half-hearted? Do you feel as though you're, you're simply going through uh, the rhythms? And the truth that we see in this psalm is when that happens, we can remind ourselves, we can remind our hearts of the goodness and greatness of God and we can worship him with a whole heart and joyously. And notice also, notice that the text says, make a joyful noise. It doesn't say that it has to be perfectly in tune. Boyce said this, Commenting on these verses, he said, you are to lift up your voice with strength. Not all of us have good voices, but I do not think the angels find poor voices offensive when hearts are full of gratitude to God. The call of this psalm, the instruction for our worship is not only sing loud if, if you have a good voice or if you know how to sing parts. The instruction, Foothill, from this psalm about our worship, it is to be joyful. It is to be filled with, with joyous praise because flowing out of our hearts is this amazing truth that we have a Savior and we have a King. Come to God in worship, making a, a joyful noise and rejoicing because you have a savior and because you have a king. And there's a third reason given in this psalm. 
Why are we to rejoice? Well, we are to rejoice because we have a Savior. Second, we are to rejoice because we have a King. And finally, we are to rejoice because we have hope. We are to rejoice because we have hope. Look at verses 7 to 9. Let the river or let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Why? Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Verse Verses four to six were a call for the people to rejoice and for the people to make a joyful noise. And now the transition changes and in verses seven and eight, the focus, the attention turns to nature. All of creation is now invited to join the praise. Verse seven, the, the sea rejoices. All of the sea creatures rejoice. Verse 8, the rivers clap their hands. The, the hills sing for joy. All of creation is worshiping and praising God. Why is nature rejoicing? Verse 9 says that the nature worships because he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Verses seven to nine speak of a future day when the, all of creation will join us, if you will, as believers in worshiping God. Nature will one day rejoice. Why? Because God is going to return and when he does, he will set everything right. And the reason for nature's rejoicing here lies yet in the future. In Genesis 3:17, we see that God cursed the ground because of man's sin. And now, according to Romans 8, all creation, it says, is groaning. All creation waits with eager longing to be set free from its bondage of corruption, Romans 8 says. Romans 8 teaches us that creation longs for God to return and to restore creation to its original harmony. And when he does, not if, but when he does, all of creation will burst forth in praise. Nature's rejoicing here lies yet in the future. But what hope does this give for us? What reason do we have to rejoice this morning? Because even in, in Romans 8, after it describes that all of creation is groaning and, and eagerly waiting for God to return right after that, it says, and we ourselves groan. And so why is this a future hope, if you will? Why is this future event a reason for us to rejoice even this morning? Well, we can rejoice because we have a sure hope that verse nine will come true. We have a sure hope that God will one day come to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and he will judge uh, the peoples with equity. Nature will one day rejoice, but we can rejoice today because we have hope in the coming of our Lord when he will come and he will judge the earth, when he will right every wrong, when he will set everything right. And when he does, we with creation will rejoice. And when you think about God coming to judge the earth, Maybe rejoicing is not the first thing that comes into your mind, right? But if, if you've put your faith in Christ, God's coming judgment this future day should cause you to rejoice and believer, it should cause you to have hope. You see, if, 
if you're on a criminal trial and you're the criminal, well, then you don't want the judge to come into the courtroom. Why? Because that would mean that you're about to receive the sentencing for your crime. You're about to receive judgment. But if you're in a civil trial where you're the plaintiff and you've been hurt and you've been wronged, you want the judge to come into the courtroom. You want the judge to come and execute justice. You want justice to be served. You want all wrongs to be made right. And here we see that the the psalmist speaks of this second coming of Christ and the purpose of Jesus' second coming is to right all wrongs, to, to judge the earth. And this judgment when he comes, involves both the the punishment of the wicked, but it also involves the the vindication of the righteous, the vindication of all of those who belong to God through faith. And the psalmist says that when Jesus comes, his judgments will be fair and will be just. He will judge with righteousness and equity. So we can rejoice in this future day. We can rejoice because we know even now amidst all that is going on, the suffering and the pain, all of the reasons that Romans 8 says that us and creation groan, we can rejoice this morning because guess what? The judge is coming. Guess what? It's not for forever. This is but a moment. And one day the judge will come and he will right all wrongs and we will be with him in heaven. And this worship that we sang this morning, the worship that we'll conclude our service with is only but a foretaste, dear believer. Our worship, our gathering on a Sunday morning is but a foretaste of what we will have in heaven. And if you have not put your faith in Christ, if you have not believed on him, if you have not received the the forgiveness of your sins, then the warning from this text is that this coming of Jesus should not bring rejoicing into your heart. The warning of this text and the message that, that we should desire to bring all who we have contact with is the message that that God is coming again and he will judge. And if you do not know him, that should not bring rejoicing into your heart, but rather fear. Hebrews 10, 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is not a a light truth, but I, I want to remind us all this morning that there is good news in the gospel because today is the day of salvation, that there is forgiveness through the work of Christ and friends. Do not leave here today without joy in your heart, rejoicing because you have been made right with your creator, rejoicing because you have not fear, but hope that one day he will come back and he will judge in righteousness. Believer, we can rejoice this morning because we have hope that God is coming to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Why can we leave this morning rejoicing? What what do we have to to rejoice about this holiday season? What content can fill our praises? What things can we tell our friends and our family? What can fill those dinner conversations when you've had too many Hawaiian rolls? You can rejoice over that as well. We can rejoice. We can sing a new song because we have a savior. A savior who with his right hand and his holy arm has delivered us from sin. We can rejoice because our sins have been forgiven. We can rejoice because when there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, God saved us. We can rejoice 
We can sing to the Lord a new song because we have a king. A king who rules and reigns not just over our lives. He's not just sovereign over our lives, but who's sovereign over everything. Over nations and people and who works all things for our good and his glory. And we can rejoice. We can sing to the Lord a new song because we have hope. Hope that one day, not if, but when, one day, Jesus will return and he will physically reign on earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. All will be made right and we can praise him Believer, rejoice because you have a savior. Rejoice because you have a king. And rejoice because you have hope. And that's what I want us to do now. We're gonna go to the Lord in prayer and then the worship team is going to to come up and to lead us once again in rejoicing. And my encouragement to you is may these truths Fill your heart and fill your worship and may we sing loudly rejoicing in all that God has done. Father in heaven, we do thank you. You are great and you are greatly to be praised and we have many reasons to rejoice. Father, I pray that you would remind us daily of these truths. And Father, I do pray that that these truths would be an encouragement uh, to believers and these truths would be uh, a conviction to those who do not know you. Lord, that it is our desire that you would save sinners, that more and more voices would join in this rejoicing both today and throughout eternity. Father, instruct us and guide us even this week to rejoice in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.